Good to see you guys. I hope you had a good uh, Independence Day celebration. Uh, before I get into my message, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what I did on my Independence Day. Uh, you may not know this, but we have about 100 students who uh, went to camp this past week. And down in, two people are excited about it. That's pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, it's down near Corpus, at call, a place called Camp Zephyr. And so I decided on my Independence Day, I was going to drive down and see them and surprise them. And so I drove down and got a chance to see them. Man, let me tell you what. You know, I went to camp, you know, 50 years ago when I was young. And they don't do camp like they did when I was growing up. This camp was awesome. The property was awesome. The program was awesome. The people were awesome. It was just a great experience. I mean, okay, so I had lunch with the kids. They had a salad bar at youth camp. I mean, they didn't give us vegetables at all when I went to youth camp. You know, corn was vegetable. Anyway, it was awesome. They were having a good time, uh, growing, growing strong in their relationship with each other and with, with Christ, getting away. And I think it's just very good. And so I say all that to say part of our vision as a church is to pass on our faith to the next generation, but also to raise up the next generation of leaders of the movement that Jesus started. We take that seriously. And uh, so we have a youth program that meets all year long. They don't just go to camp. <coughs> they meet every week doing service projects and helping young people believe in Jesus and thrive in Jesus. And so a part of uh, the support that you give to City Church helps us provide programs like City Youth. And so I just want to speak a blessing over those of you who give. I uh, ask you to be faithful. I'm going to start this second half of the year uh, strong as a church financially. And so I ask you to be faithful in your giving. And if you have never given to the City Church Movement, you can give electronically in our both lobbies at digital kiosks. You can give at giving boxes, or you can give online. Now, today we are continuing our series of studying through the first century Christian letter that is included in the Christian scriptures called Philippians, because this year, as a church, we are focused on living with purpose. And in this letter, the, the person who wrote it, the Apostle Paul, reveals to us how we can experience joy as we live with purpose. In fact, he's showing us through this letter that you can feel joy no matter what. You can feel joy even when you face challenges in life. You can feel joy even when you suffer. And I know that some of you are suffering. You're suffering physically, either because of illness or disease or pain. You're suffering emotionally because of debilitating depression or paralyzing fears or anxieties. Or maybe you're wrestling with abuse you experienced in the past or even in the present. And some of you may be uh, uh, struggling or suffering relationally. Maybe your marriage is struggling, or maybe there's an issue in your family that is causing you to suffer, or maybe it's an issue at work, and then some of you may be suffering financially. Whatever you're suffering, uh, today I have a message that I think will mean something to you. I think it will help you. And if you're not suffering now, you probably know somebody who is suffering, and a part of living with purpose is coming alongside to help those who are suffering. Because you do matter. You exist for a reason. God created you for purpose. He has a purpose for your life and you can live it. And he designed you and placed you in this world for you to make a contribution. God has given you unique gifts and talents and abilities. 
and a unique uh, personality uh, so that you can make a difference in this life. And he has placed you in this certain place in time wherever you live and play and work so that you can make this world a better place. You matter. Do you believe that? You know, we've been talking about living with purpose and, you know, pastors get up here and say inspirational things like that, but I'm not sure everybody really believes that. You're not going to fully live your purpose if you don't really believe you matter. And so I want us to say that as an affirmation. I matter. I want us to say it together. Are you ready? Everybody in the video cafe is uh, two. You ready? One, two, three. I matter. Okay, now say it one more time like you really believe it. I matter. You matter to God and you matter to people. The people God has created you to serve. And you may not be able to change the world for everybody, but you can change the world for somebody. And you do that by living your purpose. And by, by living your purpose, I mean recognizing who God created you to be and then doing what he created you to do. And when you live with purpose, you experience joy in all kinds of circumstances. You see, when you live with purpose, you bring meaning to your life, and that helps you feel joy. When you live with purpose, uh, it, it brings positive energy into all of your other relationships, and that adds joy to your life. When you live with purpose, you will accomplish more than you ever thought possible, and that makes you feel joy. And when you live with purpose, you will find the inner capacity to feel joy in all kinds of circumstances, even the challenging ones, even the situations where you face suffering. And today I want us to talk a little bit about how suffering relates to living our purpose. And so, if you would allow me to, I'd like to like categorize suffering in two categories. There's like uh, suffering that, that serves no purpose at all. I think there's a lot of suffering that serves no purpose. Sometimes people want to find purpose in suffering, but sometimes, can I just be honest, I don't think that some, some of our suffering serves any purpose at all. I don't think God intended it. I don't think he wanted it. I think when God sees some of our suffering, I think he, he feels uh, compassion for us. I think he, he hurts for us. I think he feels angry for us at times, and I think he grieves with us. I think there's a lot of uh, suffering that serves no purpose at all. And then, can we just be honest? I think that sometimes uh, we bring suffering into our own lives by poor choices. You ever done that? And when we bring suffering into our own lives with our poor choices, that's not on God. That's on us, okay? And then I think that there's another kind of suffering. There is some suffering that serves a purpose. And I want us to look at that a little bit today because facing our suffering, some of the suffering that does serve a purpose, when you can face it with the perspective of having a, a purpose behind it, it can give you the inner strength and courage to endure your suffering. But whether, and I, so I want to make sure I get clear about this, whether suffering serves any purpose or not, we do believe God can redeem all our suffering. He can take even the ugliest parts of our story and make something beautiful out of it. And so as we, we look at suffering today, I want to talk to you about something that happened to me a few months ago 
that profoundly impacted me and my own view of suffering. So uh, several months ago, I was talking about the subject of suffering, and I was talking about how it messes with people's view of God, you know, like, well, why would a good God allow bad things to happen to good people, and, and all of that. Anyway, uh, as a part of my message, I then turned to those who are suffering now, and I, I wanted to help people face their suffering the way Jesus faced his suffering. And so it was at the 10 o'clock service, the, the 10 o'clock service, that I was leading people to pray in the face of their suffering, the prayer that Jesus prayed from the cross, where he quoted Psalm 22, the prayer that goes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Anyway, as I was leading people at the 10 o'clock service <coughs> to pray through that prayer, just phrase by phrase, all of a sudden something happened to me. I could feel the suffering of our people. And I became overwhelmed. I began to weep. And I began to sob uncontrollably. I couldn't breathe. And so I just dropped down to my knees and I just kept weeping and weeping for you and with you. And to be honest, you know, I'm a guy and that feels weird doing it in front of a bunch of people. And Something like that had never happened to me before, so I wasn't sure exactly what was going on. And so anyway, you know, after I finished praying and the services went on, uh, I felt like I needed to talk to my spiritual mentor, one of my spiritual mentors. Uh, he's been one of my spiritual mentors since way back when I was at college at UTSA. His name's Sammy. So I called Sammy, and I had coffee with him, and I just said, Sammy, let me tell you something that happened. Can you help me understand what this is? So anyway, I told him the, the same story I just told you. And he told me, he said, Brent, I think God allowed you to feel the suffering of your people. So your heart would break for them the way his heart breaks for them. And then he talked to me about the verse we're going to look at today. The next verse in the study of Philippians. And he taught me something about, about a new aspect of my relationship with Jesus. And I hope it helps you today. Uh, so the verse is Philippians 3.10, where the Apostle Paul wrote, I want to know Jesus, to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering." So Paul said he wanted to know Jesus more. He's talking about an experiential relationship with the risen Jesus. He's talking about like a mystical, spiritual kind of connection with Jesus, whom we believe has risen from the dead. And we can connect with him spiritually. And I think an important part of living your purpose is knowing Jesus more and more. And then Paul talked about two aspects of knowing Jesus more. He talked about knowing the power of his resurrection. And by that, I think he's talking about the supernatural, miraculous power that, in, that we, like surged through Jesus' body and raised his body from dead back to life, having that same power flow, work in him and flow through him as he served others. And we're going to look at some examples in just a minute. But then he talked about this other aspect of knowing Jesus. He talked about knowing the fellowship of his suffering. And I thought, that's an odd way to say something. What? 
What does that even mean? What does it mean to fellowship with something or someone? And so I looked up the, the, the uh, Greek word, the New, New Testament was written in Greek. And I looked up the word uh, translated fellowship here, and it literally means to share an experience and connection with others. To share an experience and connection with others. And so I was trying to think about how to help us picture this. And so, so it's like, you know the Lord of the Rings uh, uh, series, the trilogy by J.R.R. Tolkien? Okay, you need to go see the movie. You haven't seen the movie. It's awesome. The first book in the trilogy is called The Fellowship of the Ring. And it tells the unlikely story of these characters that come together for a purpose, for a mission. And they share experiences together. And through those experiences that included suffering, they made an intimate connection. And I, I think... Okay, so you get it? The fellowship of the suffering. And I think Paul was sensing something here. And he sensed that if, if, if my Lord, if Jesus lived with purpose and he experienced suffering as a part of living his purpose, I'm likely going to face some suffering in my life as well. But what's important, and this is what I want us to see here, is that when Paul did face suffering, he didn't face it alone. He experienced the fellowship of his suffering. He actually connected with Jesus even through his suffering. Okay, so can I be honest with you for a minute? Whenever I've come across that verse, you know, I've read through it numerous, numerous times, I always get real excited about the first part of it, talking about the power of his resurrection because, you know, then you're talking about supernatural stuff and you're talking about miraculous stuff. I like that stuff. But the whole fellowship of his suffering thing, I... Honestly, I usually just skip over that part. I like the first part. I don't like the second part. And, but I think Paul puts them together because they go together. These two drastically different aspects of knowing Jesus more, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, they actually go together. And I think in writing to the Philippians, he's remembering when he first went to the city of Philippi and planted the church there because he experienced Jesus in both kinds of ways. And so as I was meditating on how to help us unpack what it means to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, I wanted us to go back to that account in Acts 16 and see some of the scenes that Paul experienced. And then I think you'll understand the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. So, so let me set up the scene. Paul knew why he existed. He knew his purpose in life. His purpose was to tell other people about Jesus, all people everywhere. And so he traveled throughout the Roman Empire, uh, often at great risk, teaching people and preaching to people about Jesus. And on one occasion, he and some friends gathered and they decided to go on another journey. And, and I'm gonna, the, as they started their journey, there, there's something I want us to, to see about purpose and living your purpose. So when they began their journey, they tried to get into this one area of the Roman Empire. And the scriptures say that the spirit of Jesus would not let them enter. I don't know how it happened, but in some way they couldn't get in. And then they tried to go into another area of the Roman Empire. And the scriptures say again that the spirit of Jesus would not let them do that. And so Paul stopped and they stayed in a certain place. And that night he got a vision a supernatural experience, the power of the resurrection. And in that vision, he saw a man 
in Macedonia, which was a region in the Roman Empire where the city of Philippi was, he saw a man in Macedonia saying this, come here and help us. And so when he woke up, he, he had that vision, he had a sense of clarity, we need to go to Philippi. Now, before we move on, because that's not the main part of my talk, this one's for free. I'm giving this, this one for free. I want us to notice something about how Paul responded to this interesting situation. And why did Luke even include this? I mean, it's sort of weird. It's like he failed twice to do what he was supposed to do. And I, I think it's important for us to notice how Paul uh, faced his life as he sought to live his purpose when he came to closed doors. When he came to closed doors, he didn't get frustrated with God. He didn't get frustrated with himself. He trusted God, God's guidance, and his timing. And he waited and allowed God to work out where he was supposed to go in his own way, in his own time. And so I say that because sometimes when you're seeking to live with purpose, you enter a season of uncertainty. And when you're in a season of uncertainty, you can really get down on yourself. Like, how come I can't figure out what God wants me to do? Or how come I, you know, especially when you come to closed doors and you think, I know what God wants me to do. And then you try to do it and you come to a closed door. You can either get down on yourself or you can get frustrated with God. And instead, I think what we learned from this incident, I mean, this is the Apostle Paul, one of the great Christian leaders. A lot of times when you're living your purpose, you only find out the next step of faith to guide you in your journey in the here and now. And I say that because there's some of us that are wired to where we would like to have the whole story of our lives like a roadmap, you know, of everything we're supposed to do and all the decisions we're supposed to make. Come on, I'm not the only one like that. I, 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 I'm like that. I want to know everything about what's going to happen. And what I've learned is that most of the time when you're living your purpose, the Lord only gives you enough clarity for the next step of faith in your journey as you seek to live your purpose. And you just have to be okay with that in the here and now. Okay, so anyway, Paul and his friends get to the city of Philippi. He goes to a prayer meeting, a women's prayer meeting uh, by a river. He teaches them about Jesus. They believe in Jesus, get baptized. Their household believes in Jesus, gets baptized. And so what's significant there is Paul now plants the first church on the European continent. The first church in Europe was in Philippi. As a part of his ministry there, Paul helped a woman who was being trafficked. It was a human trafficking situation. He helped her get free. Well, when he did that, he made her handlers very angry because of their lost income. And so those handlers went to city officials and had Paul and his friend Silas arrested, stripped of their clothing, beaten with rods severely, bound in chains, and then thrown into prison, all without a trial. Now put yourself in Paul's position. How would you feel about God about then? I think some of us, if we experienced what Paul experienced, we would question God's guidance. It's like, Lord, you know, maybe I missed your will. I don't think you wanted me to get beaten and have my clothes stripped and beaten and thrown in prison. This can't be, you know, what you wanted me to do. Or we would question God's goodness. God, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to live my purpose, and you let this bad thing happen to me? You know where I'm going with this. Paul interpreted the circumstances of his life through the perspective of purpose. 
And sometimes in those situations, we might even get mad at the people causing us pain. But when you live your purpose, you interpret your, your circumstances from a greater perspective because when you live with purpose, you're ultimately living for uh, something greater than yourself that is not about yourself. Now, I want you to notice how Paul and Silas responded to their suffering as they were seeking to live their purpose. This is Acts 16, verse 23. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was, uh, was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Now, though Paul and Silas were suffering from their wounds, they chose to respond to their suffering by viewing their circumstances as a part of living their purpose. And so they're in prison. I mean, think about it. They're praying out loud and singing hymns to God. Instead of being upset, instead of being depressed, they were worshiping God. And there they experienced the fellowship of his suffering. You see, there is an experience of Jesus. And I know if you're new to church, some of what I'm talking about may seem pretty mystical. There is an experience of the risen Jesus through his spirit that, it is, that is at one time painful and profound. It's intense and intimate. It's awful and awesome. It's the fellowship of his suffering. And Paul and Silas experienced the fellowship of his suffering there in prison. And they did that through prayer and worship. And so one of the reasons that when we gather each weekend, you may wonder, why do we sing songs every weekend? I mean, we sing songs all the time. And why we try to create space for prayer and why we have prayer ministry at the end of the service? Because we believe when we gather, a part of the purpose of that is to experience the risen Jesus as we gather as a people. And through worship, we've had people experience the power of the resurrection. And through worship and prayer, we have had people experience the fellowship of his suffering. And when, when we gather for worship and prayer, it does something, it focuses our hearts and our minds on Jesus, and it gives us perspective that gives us strength and courage to live our lives and to endure any suffering we face. Now, notice what happens as Paul and Silas are praying to God and singing hymns to God. This is verse 26. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. There's the power of the resurrection. As they were praying, as they were singing hymns of praise, 
as they were fellowshipping in the suffering, they then experienced the power of the resurrection. And the walls shook, and the doors were open, and their chains dropped off of them. They experienced a miracle, a supernatural miracle. But what I find interesting is, why didn't they get out of there? I mean, if my, the door opened up and the chains fell off, I would have been out of there. Paul and Silas were living with purpose. And when the doors were open and the chains came off, they knew it wasn't just for them. They were thinking about a jailer who was getting ready to off himself. See, they were living with purpose. And when that jailer said, Sirs, what must I do? They helped him believe in Jesus. This one who probably was one of the guys that hurt them. In response, they helped him. Because they were living their purpose. And here's the, the beauty. That jailer and his whole household, they were saved. They were saved from their sin. They were saved from their guilt. They were saved from their past. And here's what's cool. When, when you live with purpose, you experience joy no matter what, even in suffering. And you get to experience some of the power of the resurrection. But you also get to help other people experience joy too. Look at what happened. This is uh, verse 34. The jailer then brought them to his house and set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. Now, you understand that that Roman jailer had probably lived a pretty rough life, pretty violent life, pretty morally questionable life. And in my 30-plus years as a pastor, I have found that most people who live that kind of life don't think very well of themselves. They're, they can be down on themselves. But now that jailer was filled with joy because he had believed in Jesus. His chains were gone now. City church exists so all people, people like that jailer, people with baggage, people with messy lives, city church exists so all people can believe and thrive in Jesus. And if you're new to church, uh, you haven't believed in Jesus yet, I want you to know you're welcome here. Uh, our church exists for you in particular. And it's our hope and our prayer that you will believe in Jesus too. We really do believe he is the son of God. We believe he died on the cross to pay for our sins and that he has risen from the dead and he can forgive our sins and give us eternal life. And li living with purpose and experiencing the joy of living with purpose begins with believing in Jesus. And in a few moments, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that today. But I first want to say a little bit more about the fellowship of his suffering. And so I was praying and meditating on what, what I felt like I was supposed to say to, to our people about the fellowship of his suffering. And so this, this one I want to share, this just comes from my heart. Uh, when Jesus lived his purpose, it did include suffering. It was a part of his experience. And I think it's important for us to, to recognize that that tells us something about the nature of our God. Christianity alone believes that God became a human being and lived among us and experienced suffering just like us. So he's not some kind of distant, unsympathetic savior. He's a compassionate one 
who knows what it means to suffer. And because he is risen from the dead, through his spirit, he will come and fellowship with us in our suffering. And if you're suffering, he will fellowship with you. And it will give you strength, and it will give you courage to endure. And what's interesting is Jesus also saw purpose in his suffering. Remember, I said there's some suffering I think serves no purpose, but there's some suffering that serves a purpose. Jesus knew that there was a part of his suffering that served a purpose. And he began to talk to his disciples about this, the cross, that he was going to be on the cross. And the, the disciples were sort of like me, you know. They like all the, the uh, power of the resurrection stuff. They liked all the miracle stuff and the supernatural stuff. It was awesome stuff. They, they just didn't like the suffering stuff. And so I feel like I'm in good company because I, you know, I understand what that's like. Uh, but Jesus kept talking about the cross, and here's why. Because for Jesus, the cross was the place where he lived his purpose even when it cost him, even when he suffered. And he began to use the metaphor of the cross as a picture of what it means for all of us to live our purpose. This is what he said. That when he's, he's casting vision to his disciples about what it means to live their purpose. This is Luke 9.23. Jesus said, Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves, take up their crosses daily, and follow me. And so here's what Jesus is telling us. If we're going to live our purpose, sometimes it's going to cost us. And we may even suffer. That's why he called it the cross. He said, take up your cross, your cross, your cross. So how do you know your cross? Your cross is where you live your purpose even when it costs you something. How do you recognize your cross? Sometimes I believe you recognize your cross, how you're supposed to live with purpose by, by uh, what the suffering you see in others. So let me explain what I mean by that. If you see someone suffer, maybe an injustice, and it just, it does something in your gut, and it wrecks you, you're probably supposed to do something about it. If you see someone who's in pain, or someone who has a need, and it just motivates you to want to do something about it, that's probably God's way of guiding you toward your purpose, toward, toward your cross. And you may have to pay something to help that person. It may cause you to rearrange your life. You may have to sacrifice something, and it may hurt. Sometimes I think you recognize your cross through the suffering of others. And you come alongside them and you help them through their suffering. But sometimes I think that you discover your cross through the pain of your own past. This is where I talked about how God can redeem our past and redeem our suffering. I think God, can, God sometimes redeems our past and the suffering we've experienced. He didn't want it. He didn't intend it. But he can redeem it. So let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. So maybe you have experienced abuse or neglect in your life, and you've suffered from that. Who else could help others get healing that they need from the suffering and the abuse that they have faced in their lives? Who better than you to help them? Maybe living your purpose means getting trained so that you can be on our prayer team and minister to people after the services and help them get the healing that you now have. Or maybe you need to go through our Peel the Onion program, which helps people get free and get healing from past, their past so that you can then help others get healing. Maybe 
Maybe you were belittled as a child or a teen, or you felt unloved or neglected. Who better to help children and teens believe that they are loved and valued than you? Maybe living your purpose means getting involved with our Kids City program or our City Youth program and passing on what you've learned about value and love to the next generation. Or maybe you've experienced suffering in your marriage. Maybe you've gone through an ugly, messy divorce. Who better to help other couples who may be suffering in their marriage than you? Maybe living your purpose means getting involved with our re-engage program and helping couples heal so they can become one again. Here's what I'm saying. Whatever your cross is, take it up. Take it up even if it costs you. And you keep moving until you find it because that's where you're going to experience joy no matter what. And that is how you will make this world a better place. You find your cross and take it up. And then if you suffer, he will fellowship with you in your suffering. Let me pray for you. I, wanna, I know this has been a different kind of message, um, but I want to pray for those of you who may be suffering. And uh, so I'm going to ask if everybody would bow their heads and close their eyes for a moment. And I ask if, if you're suffering today and you want me to pray for you, would you just slip up your hand so I can see it? And okay, I'm looking out here in my right. Okay, yeah, I see your hands. I see your hand there. Okay, I see it up there. I'm looking in the middle. Oh, goodness, Lord. Okay, I see your hands here in the middle. Okay, yes. How about to my left? Yeah, brother. Okay, I see your hands. Okay. Okay, you put your hands down, Lord. Lord Jesus, um, we are so grateful that you are willing to be the Son of God who experienced suffering like us. And you saw the hands of those who lifted their hands and, and in your presence, Lord, they said, I'm suffering. And I ask you to fellowship with us in our suffering today. I ask you to give us comfort where we feel pain. I ask you to give us an inner strength where we feel weak. And I ask you to give us hope where we feel desperation. Lord Jesus, fellowship with us in our suffering. I ask you to be with us through your spirit. Let us sense your presence and your comfort and your hope. Thank you, Lord. And then I want to pray with those of you who who if you've never believed in Jesus, and today you're ready to believe, you're ready to put your trust in him. I'm going to lead you to, to put your trust in him today. And so I invite you to, to whisper this prayer out loud as I lead you through it. It's just a, a prayer of faith. You ready? God, I believe in you. And I believe that Jesus is your son. And I believe he died on the cross to pay for my sins. And I believe he's risen from the dead. Thank you. And so I ask you to forgive me of my sins and to make me your child. Thank you. And Lord God, I ask you to do what you promised you would do. 
You said if we would believe in your son that you would forgive our sins, you would remove the burden of guilt, just lift it off of us right now. You would remove every stain of sin and you would give us your spirit to live within us. I ask you to fill people with your spirit right now to seal within our hearts that we are now your children and that you love us and that we have eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen.